Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast. This is a weekly interview show that is all about art, craft, and creativity. I produce it in the hope that it will help all of us live long and crafty lives. So let's get to it, folks. It's time to craft sanity. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Craft Sanity. I apologize for the delay. If you listen to the after show, you'll hear a little bit more about what's going on in my life and why I'm not kicking these out as fast as I did last year. But I hope to be back on that schedule soon because I miss doing these podcasts. Without further ado, let's get to today's show. I am so, so excited to finally bring you my interview with Annie Mohop. And if you haven't heard of Annie Mohop or her fabulous Mohop shoes, then you are missing out, and this is going to be very enlightening. I had the pleasure of meeting Annie last fall at the Detroit Urban Craft Fair. I literally stopped in my tracks when I saw her booth because it was filled with shoes that she made herself from scratch. And I, I'm not a shoe person. In fact, I wear tennis shoes, specifically running shoes, every day. I'm just not someone who wears high heel, fine shoes. But, you know, when I saw Annie's booth, for some reason, well, I know why, because she made them herself. That's what attracted me to these shoes. If there would have been some woman with imported shoes from another country made in some factory somewhere, I would have walked right by the shoes. I know it. But because Annie was sitting there with these shoes she made herself, I I was really impressed. I mean, I sound like a complete goofball because I'm like, oh, wow, these are so comfortable. <laughs> wow, this is great. But anyway, Annie Mohop makes shoes, these very cool sandals, all by hand in her studio in the Logan Square neighborhood of Chicago. This is just not something we're going to be able to do at home, folks, but it's a chance to salute somebody who is really doing something fantastic. And then, as if that's not impressive enough, she hand screen prints graphics into the footbed of every sandal. So you get, like, a little piece of artwork to put your feet on. I mean, I forked over the cash for a pair of these shoes right there that day. She didn't have my size on hand, and so I waited a few weeks for her to send me my shoes, and I was so impatient about it. I mean, I just couldn't wait to get these shoes. You know, it kind of stinks because right around the time I bought them, it got cold here in Michigan, and now it's snowy. But you know what? I've been working out. So when I bring those mohops out again this spring, I'm going to be wearing a smaller dress size, and I'm going to have some fun, folks. Um, I think those mohops are going to take me places. But anyway, enough about me and my mohops. We're going to talk to Annie Mohop and get the, the story of how she made the decision to leave her career as an architect to follow this passion she had to have her own business and make things with her own two hands. And she's essentially, instead of building buildings now and designing buildings, she's building and designing shoes. And so she's put to you, her, her degree to use in just a different way, a way she didn't expect. And I think a lot of us have gone through these periods of time where you're, you, know, you go to school and you study a certain thing and you're thinking, okay, I've put a lot of money and time into this. I can't change my mind. You can. You can totally change your mind. And Annie is a great example of someone who recognized that she just wasn't 
happy doing what she was doing on a daily basis. She didn't want to sit in front of a computer all day and design. She wanted to sketch things and make things, and she's doing it. She's really doing this, and it's very inspiring to hear her story. I really enjoyed talking to her, and I am so sorry it's taking me this long to get this interview to you folks, but I'm thrilled to be able to finally do it. Here is my interview with Annie Mohop. I understand you're formally trained as an architect. Yes. Where'd you go to school? Um, I went to school at uh, University of Illinois at uh, Urbana-Champaign. It's actually a, a really good architecture school, so I was lucky that I'm in state and stuff. So yeah. I was able to get, get good tuition on that. And it's a really good school. Very emphatic, actually, on uh, engineering aspects and things, which I think helped me a lot. So, yeah, so I went there for four years, graduated in 98, and then I moved out to San Francisco for a change of scene. And I was actually planning on uh, working in San Francisco for a year and then going to Berkeley, and then I got kind of lazy about going to, to grad school. I think that year after you graduate from school and you kind of go into the real world and you're sitting at a desk and you're just like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that was my reaction, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I, at that first year in San Francisco, I was like, I don't know if I really want to do architecture forever, but I didn't really know what else to do with myself at that point, especially because I didn't, you know, I just wanted to give architecture a fair shot. Sure. Um, so I worked, I worked as an architect full-time for like three years, and then I got a bug in me to uh, study computer animation. So I went to the art school in San Francisco and took some graduate-level computer animation courses and then realized that I don't like sitting at the computer doing architecture. I'm going to be sitting at the computer even more doing computer animation. <laughs> right, it's since like, it all involves a computer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And it's like, and seeing the hours they work, and they work in like pitch black rooms, you know, so you can see the screen much better. And I was just like, I cannot live my life in a dungeon staring at a, you know, a lit up screen. Yeah. So I dropped out of that <laughs> and I went back to architecture. Had you left your day job when you went and took these classes at the grad level? Oh, I actually, um, I worked part time still okay. um, at my office and was a full time student, but that was that was pretty difficult, um, of course. So we, we stayed in San Francisco, and my husband and I actually met in undergrad at, in Champaign. Okay. And then we both moved out to California, and we got married in uh, San Francisco. And then we decided, oh, well, maybe we'll buy a condo or something, and we were looking at the real estate prices, and oh, everything yes. was so crazy because it was a dot-com boom. Right. And, like, these tiny little places were going for, like, half a million dollars. We're like, we can never afford to live here. So, yeah, so and moved. for oh, half a million dollars, you probably want, like, I mean, you want a lot of space, you know, yeah, not, exactly. not like a two-bedroom place, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and even if we could, like, somehow even find enough money to get something, it would just be, like, a studio apartment, and even then, I was working a lot on sewing and just always had, like, little craft things going on that I was like, I, you know, I can't just live in a tiny little space, I need, you know, workspace and things. Room to create, Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we moved to Chicago in 2001, and I've been working as an architect here for the next uh, four years until 2005. So I have seven years of experience in architecture, and the whole time I was working as an architect, I I liked it enough, but I probably never felt 
that I always felt that I had something entrepreneurial like up my sleeve. I just didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. So when I started the shoes, I was like, oh, this is it. Like it was just like I knew it was like I don't know. You hear people talk about like soulmates and stuff, but I felt like I met my like my soul profession. You know, <laughs> like oh, this is it. This is what I was meant to do. And sho- shoes have souls too, so you know, <laughs> that's totally cheesy. But yeah, <laughs> I thought I'd just say yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when did you start making shoes? At what point along the way? Um, what gave you the idea? I, you know, it's kind of funny because I was, I think, before it actually occurred to me, like, hey, I'll make shoes. I was always like storing away little ideas in my head related to shoes, <laughs> and without even re- actually realizing it. But in May of 2005, a friend of mine asked me to join her at the Renegade Craft Fair, which, of course, is a big one here in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And I had been messing around with, like, making jewelry and bags and, you know, this and that. And uh, so she just, I mean, I think she really just wanted to kind of reduce her booth fee. And she's like, why don't you join me? And I was like, okay. So I just thought about what I'd like to make. And uh, I remember I was in the car driving home from my visiting my parents and all of a sudden I was like I'll make shoes and I just kind of had this like vision of shoes that were made kind of like skateboards that had the the bent plywood and had screen printing on them and things so it's kind of like an aha moment and so I went home and just started doing research and research trying to figure out kind of looking at how skateboards are made or how furniture is made Mm -hmm. and then I was using just a lot of materials that I had kind of come across while I was in the office and thinking like like, I, I found this rubber flooring that I was like, oh, this would, for whatever reason, before I thought about making shoes, I thought to myself, this would make great soling for shoes. <laughs> so I, I tried that, and I, I just tried a bunch of different materials and experimented and things, but using a lot a lot of materials that I had come across as an architect. Right, so th- these are things you had access to. You're not going to find any of this stuff in, like, a traditional, like, craft store, of course. So you were really drawn upon the th- materials that you saw in your a- everyday job. Yeah, exactly. I mean, most of the materials I have to order directly from the manufacturer. You know, I can't get my materials straight from Home Depot. Right, right. Um, And it's, in that way, I mean, it's nice because, you know, I kind of have some sort of exclusive, you know, access to the materials. Sure, sure. But a lot of these companies are used to dealing with projects that have really long lead times, you know, six weeks to two months to get the materials. And I'd be like, no, no, I need it next week. So it was sometimes a, it took me a while to to get used to to having such a big supply here, you know, so that I can I can make sure that I don't run out of supplies because if I run out of something and something takes a two month lead time, you know, my customers don't want to wait two months right. till I get a material in. So right. and so it does end up really expensive because I have to order so much beforehand. But I mean, that's just kind of part of startup cost. Yeah. Yeah, well, once you're, I mean, it's, I mean, May 20, 2005 was not long ago, you know? No, so no. what were your first pair of shoes like? Do they look anything like uh, the Mohops that are walking around all over the place now that people are wearing on their feet? No, not really. I wasn't sure if I should cut out the shoe shape out of a bunch of pieces of wood, like different plies of wood, and then glue it together, or if I should glue all the wood together and then cut out the shoe shape. Um, if that makes any okay, sense. Okay, so you're trying to determine how you're going to, like, the steps you would take. Yeah, yeah, and it was, um, that took a long time, so I was trying to figure out what order to do things, and so my first pair of shoes, um, I had actually cut out, like, a a foot shape for the footbed, 
Um, and then I took a whole bunch of layers and glued them all together and put them in a mold. And when I got them out of the mold, these all the pieces of wood had kind of like spread out in every different direction. <laughs> so I was like, oh. But I was really happy that I bent wood. And I after I got it out of the mold, the wood was hard. And I was like, well, it could be a shoe if you squint your eyes, you know, and hold it long way away (laughs) but um, so you knew you had the beginning of something was there yeah yeah I mean the first time I was like this is not at all what I want but I can see that you know that I can do something with this so it took a really long time like months to find the materials that I was looking for Um, much longer than I expected I had kind of just thought that I could you know, put this and that together, but finding the the right wood and and all those the right glue um, it was much much more of a challenge than I had initially anticipated. And were you still working full time when you started experimenting with the different products to figure out what was going to work? Yeah, yeah, I was, and that was it was a tough time um, last summer, the summer two thousand five, because I was working full time and I had. Since I had already signed up for the Renegade with my friend, I had kind of committed that I was going to make shoes, and so I was like, I have to actually, you know, come through with this. I mean, granted, if I didn't show with the Renegade, you know, the world wouldn't fall apart, but it was kind of a goal that I had set for myself. I was like, you know, I'll make the shoes. If they sell at the Renegade, then I'll know that this is the way, you know, the direction I'm supposed to go. If they don't sell, then not. So the Renegade for me was kind of a big a big determiner of my future, really. And, it, I mean, that, yeah, it was kind of arbitrary that I set those goals for myself, but that's the way I was looking at it. Mm-hmm. And um, so all summer I would, had so much pressure that I put on myself to get the shoes done for the Renegade that, uh, you know, I was... And as an architect, actually, one often works very long hours. So I'd, you know, work late and come home and work halfway through the night and, you know, go back to work in the morning. And oh, goodness, yeah. I don't... I don't... Didn't have any fun that summer. I mean, working on the shoes was was fun in a way, but I didn't still... actually hang out with my friends or anything. I didn't see anybody at all, all summer. So. And how many <laughs> pairs of shoes were you trying to have? On Like, how big of a selection were you trying to have for that show? And that's the tough part, too, because they're shoes, so you have to have a bunch of different sizes. Right, right. So I was, I was like, well, I need to have, I thought that I should have at least four of each size and each heel height. So if, because people actually, I found, kind of tend to want the same shoes. Like a lot of people like the size 8 in a mid-heel. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time when I was making shoes, I wasn't sure. So I was like, well, I'll make, you know, like four of each size and each heel height. So I decided that I'd try and make like 100 shoes. I did not make 100 shoes. <laughs> <laughs> How many did you actually get? Um, it was, I think it was about 40 pairs. Wow. Um, and the week before the Renegade, I, I just didn't sleep at all. It was like thesis time in school, you know, where you just stay up late every single night trying to cram and get everything done. So do you so, even remember the show? <laughs> you were so exhausted. I yeah, mean, it was, I mean, I was pretty out of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the shoes sold, so yeah. I was like, well, Did okay. you sell out of your shoes, or what, what happened? I did sell out of some of the sizes. Um, they sold, like... Um, the the weather was kind of crazy that weekend. It was for the first couple hours on Saturday. The weather was beautiful, and they were selling so fast. Like I literally had like people you know lining up waiting to to try the shoes or talk wow. to me. And um, 
they were going so fast. And then all of a sudden this uh, thunderstorm came up, and then everybody left. And it was so muddy there at the Renegade that, like, it was like a mud volleyball pit in front of our in front of our booth because oh, no. everybody I, walking through the mud. Right, was like, and you want people to be able to stop and try on shoes. Yeah, yeah. And not standing in a mud puddle. Oh, goodness. Yeah, people were like coated in mud, so you know I was like, it's it's okay if you you know you don't need to try on shoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe later. <laughs> so yeah, so so they sold really well for the first couple hours, and then after that they didn't really sell, but. It's actually fine because the shoes that I had sold at the Renegade were not all that great because um, I had only been, let's see, the Renegade was in September and I had started in May and I only had been working on them for five months. And I thought at the time, I was like, I wore them around the block once or twice and I was like, oh yeah, these are fine, they'll hold up. Not realizing that, you know, you really need to test shoes for miles and miles <laughs> to make sure they hold up. Yeah. So, so people, you know, as soon as the renegade ended, the next day I had people calling me like, my shoes broke. Oh, no. I was so embarrassed. Oh, geez. Yeah. I was so embarrassed and just mortified. And so, so what did you do when people called? I mean, what, how did you re- recover from that? I mean, would you just tell them I, to bring them back in? or? Yeah, yeah. I apologized profusely and then um, and then made everybody a new pair of shoes. However, I had to, it really took me a couple months to come up with some shoes that I really felt were like solid replacements for them. So everybody, everybody who ordered a pair of shoes, I had all their addresses and I sent them all a gift certificate for um, a new pair of shoes. And I, you know, made everybody a new pair um, a couple months later. Wow. That's really, and that's a huge amount of work, but it sounds like, I mean, you put a lot, I mean, obviously this is your your baby. I mean, you want this thing to fly and, you know, so you, and that's a setback that you overcame. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was, I mean, when I started, I, I knew it would be tough to make shoes, but I didn't really understand like how hard it would be really to find all the materials and methods like by myself with nobody to talk to because nobody, there's just nobody who makes shoes like this. I've searched the internet top to bottom and there's nobody who makes handmade bent plywood shoes. So I didn't have any resources. I didn't know, you know, I, I tried to talk to, uh, like, the the guy at the art, or um, the shoemaking professor at the Art Institute. Like, mm-hmm. I talked to him and stuff. And, you know, he's he's great. He knows tons about making shoes. But he makes leather shoes, and it's just such different techniques. Oh, yeah. And I talked to woodworkers, you know, and they'd give me some advice. But they didn't, there's still different dynamics going on with a shoe as opposed to furniture. So... There were definitely a lot of times where I got really frustrated and I was like, what am I doing? But the thing was is that I had already dug myself a hole by already selling shoes and I felt like I couldn't let the people down who had already bought shoes. Right. So you had, I had, had to, to keep on out. pushing and pushing until I got something that, you know, I feel like I didn't, you know, rip anybody off at all. So it took a long time, but I have to say, like, when I finally figured everything out and walked 100 miles in my own shoes. It was seriously, like, the happiest moment in my life, like, to to have worked so hard and to finally, like, you know, know that I figured it out all on my own. It was really, really a good feeling. <laughs> yeah, well, and what at what point did you feel that way? So at May, uh, May 2005, um, you started really on this road, and when did you feel like, okay, aha, I have it? It was a whole year later, a little wow. over a year later. Wow, so just recently. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and I, I actually quit my job in October of 2005, so like right after the Renegade. And so for the following, I mean, since then for a year now, I've been working, you know, from home on the shoes full time. But that first, that kind of first six months where I was working full time on the shoes, like I was literally working full time on trying to make them, you know, the best that they could possibly be, like make sure they hold up to anything that, you know, anybody can wear them regardless of, you know, weight or whatever. Because I had, I think some of my older shoes, we're fine if you weigh like 100 pounds, but, you know, a lot of us weigh, you know, 150, 200 pounds, and the shoes, you know, they have to hold up forever. They can't right, put right. a weight limit on them. Right. Oh, yeah. Talk about offending your customers. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, um, how yeah. much do you weigh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. People would really love that. <laughs> yeah, you know. I mean, well, I know it's a huge decision, but how hard was it for you to, you know, after Renegade, then be standing there thinking, okay, People like this. People like these shoes. Now, did you know you were going to quit if they sold? Did you already say that to your husband? Like, hey, if these sell, I'm going to quit my job. Or Yeah, I yeah, did. You did, yeah. Because um, I've been looking for years <laughs> a reason to, to stop doing architecture and to, to work from home on something where I could, like, really use my hands and, and kind of make my own thing. So, And my husband had actually gone to grad school, and I worked full-time. Uh, while he went to school, you know, for the whole time. And mm-hmm. so I was like, all right, you know, you owe me because I decided not to go to grad school. So, you know, this is kind of my my grad school. I'm teaching myself here, and uh, you can support me. So that's kind of how, how I justified it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it sounds like he, he went along with that. And, uh, you know, the rest is history now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So how has your life changed in, you know, this short amount of time? But this is like mammoth change for you to be now self-employed and do you actually I I know some people say they work like a year and don't really profit from you know make their their, but is your business profitable now already um it we think it is just barely the problem is we've been so busy because my husband is an architect as well and he's taking his architecture exams and he's working on our patent application he's and our house which we we bought a house that I'll, I'll talk a little more about this in a second, but there's we have about a million things going on in our life, and um, we have not kept up as well with the bookkeeping as we should be. So okay, so it's harder. So you have to kind of do some backtracking to figure out. Okay, we what have we purchased and what have we sold? Okay, we yeah, do. I gotcha. I gotcha. So I think I think that we've cut even, and we're. Um, I am really pretty sure that in the spring we'll start making a profit, but so far there has has not been a profit but it's kind of hard to tell because for a while there I mean I think this happens to a lot of people who start a small business is sometimes the especially in the beginning the the personal finances get messed up with the the business finances especially because you know I initially started I didn't know whether this would be you know its own thing right right so so yeah so we gotta we have to go through everything and and count everything up. Yeah, but. but it sounds like you're making some s- serious progress. And um, where are you? Why don't you tell me a little bit about where you're selling your shoes now? Um, they're sold at uh, several stores throughout the country. Um, I think I have like a dozen now. I'm trying to. My kind of goal was not to have like ten stores in Chicago, but to have you know, if I'm going to have ten stores, I want them to be all over the country, mm-hmm. um, especially because. My business is uh, somewhat web-based, and, you know, it's the new millennium, blah, 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 but there's no, there's really no point in 
you know, having it just be a local business when with the Internet the word can get out, you know, throughout the country and even around the world. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I always thought that, you know, I just want to have like, you know, one or two stores in every city and make sure that they're all spread out. So um, we'll see how that goes, but that's kind of, kind of my aim right now. When I first started, uh, when I um, set up the website, I got the website kind of, well, my husband helped a lot, but we kind of got that running in January or February. And pretty much immediately we had a response from, like, from Europe, uh, Australia, you know, all the continents. Like somebody, you know, would write and say, oh, your shoes are awesome. Where, you know, can I get them and stuff? And actually we, we set up the website with all, like, American sizing and things. So we had to go back in the website and we're like, oh, we have to put on European sizing and, right. and you know, all these money conversions and and all that stuff with having an international business so that was kind of a surprise to me that I it just actually hadn't occurred to me that that you know I could sell the shoes internationally like I always thought oh well you know I'll sell them at some craft fairs and sell them here and there and um and as soon as I got the website up it was like people in the UK you know blogging about me and ordering my shoes and stuff. I think my first order actually was from the UK. Wow, that's that's really interesting. Because I think a lot of times we post stuff and then forget the world is watching, you yeah. know, <laughs> and that anyone in the world can buy that. Well, that's awesome. So, I, you know, if, um, you know, the UK is interested in it, you got to be onto something kind of cool, right, when it comes to fashion. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? So, so uh, how many pairs of shoes have you made, do you think, now? Um... I sometimes I, I was trying to figure this out before. I think I've made over a thousand pairs. Wow. Um, I'm pretty sure it's. It, I kind of keep track of like my supplies and kind of determine it from like how many reorders I've placed on things. Mm-hmm. But it does get kind of fuzzy from some of my earlier prototypes and things. But I'm pretty sure it's. I'm pretty sure it's maybe like a thousand to twelve hundred. Wow. It's a lot of shoes. And you've made those yourself, then just you by yourself, or do you have help now? I do have help now. I was doing it by myself uh, through June, and then uh, at the beginning of July, I got an assistant, Maria. Um, she's a student at the Art Institute, so when she first started, she was um, working for credit for school, and um, now she's stayed on. So it's... I. I can't even tell you, like, how much help it is. I don't know if my, I think my brain would have exploded, like, trying to do it all myself because there's just more work to be done than than I could possibly do. Yeah, well, it sounds like you pretty much can sell these shoes as fast as you can make them for the most part. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely been, the, that be... has been the case. I've been um, just now, actually, right now, finally, at the end of the summer, I've I've been able to catch up, but unfortunately, a lot of people, you know, get their, I, I try and have a three to four week lead time, and the lead time ends up being four and a half weeks, because I have a tough time keeping up, even with the both of us working. Wow. So, but I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that in the, maybe in the spring or sometime, I can get uh, an actual shop and maybe have some more employees and things and, and make more of a make more of a business of it. Just because right now it's kind of a hard level to sustain. It's it seems like with my business it either wants to be like really small, like I just do a couple of fairs here and there and that's enough to keep me and assistant busy, or 
I have to get bigger. But it's, I don't know, it seems like it's kind of hard to kind of maintain a happy medium. Right, so you have to, it sounds like you have to make some decisions then about what you, what, how, what your vision is for the business. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's so. great to have that option, you know, to, to be able to say, you know, I could go bigger. I mean, because there's some people that are trying to sell stuff that's just not selling. You know, right? And I know. Well, I, when I met you, I of course I like, and I'm not a shoe person. Like I'm not someone who has like a billions of pairs of shoes. So it was really funny. I was surprised actually at my own response to your shoes <laughs> because when I came back, you know, I went back to my parents' house. I'm from Metro Detroit. I live in Grand Rapids now, on the west side of the state. But you know, I came into town for the show and you know to cover it. And I went back to my parents' house. And I'm like, told my sister, I'm like, hey, yeah, I bought some shoes. And she's like, what? She's like, you bought shoes? You bought shoes? You know, that doesn't really seem like something you buy. I'm like, yeah, I know, but they were awesome. <laughs> but I, but I, I, you didn't have my size, so I couldn't show them to her right away. I always like when I come across something that I haven't seen anybody else do. You're, you're like the first one to do something like this. And yeah. that's what's so fun about it. Um, and probably at Renegade, you're the only one selling shoes. You know, yeah, for, yeah, yeah. I'm usually the only one with shoes at most fairs, although... Every once in a while, somebody turns up who does, like, like hand-painted leather things and yeah. stuff like that. Well, it's, it sounds like with your background, it would take it would take somebody, I mean, you, the path you took. I mean, you're an architect. You're trained to design, you know, and so you're, and you're using some architectural materials to build a shoe, basically. So it's not something that, you know, I could say, well, you know, I know how to crochet and quilt and weave and all this. I'm going to make myself a pair of shoes. I mean, it just probably wouldn't go so well, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, it sounds like this is something that is, um, it's interesting because even though you, you say you knew kind of early on that you didn't want to spend your life doing architecture, you, it seems like you wouldn't be able to make these shoes. Maybe I'm just reading too much into this, but which, do you think you'd be able to make these shoes if you didn't have that training? No, actually, I, I agree with you 100%. Without my background in architecture, I wouldn't have, yeah, there's no way I would have done this. And if I had decided, for what, if I had majored in something else and decided to make shoes, I would probably, like, go to grad school for shoemaking and make, like, traditional shoes. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, with my architecture background and things, that kind of led me to kind of look at making them in a different way and kind of, uh, you know, encourage me to to make them, you know, my own way and using using the techniques I had learned. So I definitely, and I am not, like, knocking architecture at all. I think that, actually, if anybody is going to major in something in school, I think it's a really good thing to major in because it teaches you so much about uh, both kind of, like, right brain and left brain things. You know, you have the, the art and the engineering and things, and there's there's so much to learn as far as history and the future, and there's there's just a million different things to consider as an architect that I think it's it's a really good a really good basis for a lot of different careers. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and then that's true. I mean, you can go a lot of different directions with an architecture background. Yeah, and you're obviously proving that. <laughs> <laughs> can you talk a little bit about your process? Obviously, you know, I don't. You, I'm not asking you to share how you make. I mean, because obviously this is your thing. You know, we don't want to have. 12 people at Renegade next year, next to your booth, making the same exact kind of shoes, which I don't think anyone would be able to do, but we don't want to encourage that. But, but um, if you can talk a little bit about your, because these are, you know, wooden shoes uh-huh. made out of plywood. Um, but I, what I, I'm kind of getting at is, like, your process as far as, because you're, you're hand um, screen printing these, the wood. Yes. 
Right. And so um, I kind of just want people to understand kind of what goes into just a single pair of shoes, like what it takes. If you can take us from beginning to end and like tell, give us a rough time of how long it takes to make one pair of shoes. Okay. Um, well, the first thing you need is a mold. So I had to, I had to make the molds um, by hand because uh, obviously there's no shoe bending molds out there in the world. So um, what I did to make the molds to kind of determine uh, the profile of the shoe, that is like where, where on the shoe like the ball of your foot would hit versus the heel and mm-hmm. like kind of the arch support and things like that. Um, what I did is I looked at a bunch of the shoe, a bunch of shoes that I had, and kind of um, some of my more comfortable ones, and just really kind of studied the the profile of those shoes. Um, so I kind of came up with with a curve to the shoe that would that would fit the bottom of your foot really well. Um, so once I I actually um, did a lot of like drafting in AutoCAD, you know, from my architecture background. So I kind of I drafted like a curve of this shoe that I would use for my mold. And um, so I took a bunch of MDF, which is a rather heavy um, kind of board that's made of fiber. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used a router with, um, with a blade that is the same thickness as the thickness of my shoe. Uh, I'm getting too technical here, but, but you really you need the mold to be um, a consistent thickness throughout um, so, that, so that the shoe uh, has... Um, even pressure along the length of it when I'm molding it. So anyway, so I used a router to to make the mold and kind of glued up this big mold. And actually, for me, I ended up making different molds for all the shoe sizes and all the heel heights. Oh, my goodness. Um, so how so many I molds have, did you have to make? What? How many molds was that? I mean, that's got to be a lot of molds. Yeah, I have uh, I have 12 molds in my basement, and they're really big. Oh, they're, wow. Um, they're 12 inches by 24 inches, but... And then by like twelve inches tall, um, and they weigh a lot. I mean, I think um, with both of them together, they weigh about sixty pounds. So, oh my goodness! Yeah. So for a while, I was like trying to lift up the molds in the basin, and almost broke my back. So I kind of had to devise a way of like using my molds that I wouldn't like hurt my back and stuff, and kind of you know lifting parts at certain times. And yeah. It's kind of a long story, but. Um, Anyway, so I, I made molds, and then um, when I have my molds, I actually take sheets of everything. Um, I make everything out of 12-inch by 24-inch sheets. Okay. So I have a top sheet that is a veneer, um, and I just get that from um, from a nice wood supplier, not not Home Depot, but a real, like, hardwood supplier. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have veneers of, like, any kind of wood you'd like. Um so I pick out different veneers, different colors. Like I have wenge, which is like a dark African wood, which is really pretty. And sometimes I have like birch, which is Finnish wood that is very light. So you can kind of get the whole spectrum. Um, so the veneer is literally just like as thick as a paper. I mean, a little thicker, more like kind of cardstock. But it's got um, it's got wood on the top, and then the bottom layer has uh, has paper on the bottom. Um, the reason why I get the paperback veneer is because um, other veneers, if it doesn't have the paper on the back, it will curl up when I screen print oh, it. Oh, okay. Yeah, and you don't want it to curl up. Yeah, exactly. So um, so I take the veneer, and 
Um, usually I will either stain it a color. I have all sorts of bright wood stains, so I can stain it like fuchsia or turquoise or red or, you know, whatever I'm in the mood for. And then um, I screen print them. I don't screen print at home because when I started making shoes, I knew from the start that I wanted to screen print them. Um, and when I tried it at home, it was a disaster. I could not screen print at all. So what I learned is that to make good screen prints, you really need to have good screen printing equipment, um, which I can't afford and I don't have the space for. So I actually go to um, a screen printing co-op called Screwball Press here in Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, it was started by this guy named Steve Walters, who is like a really awesome uh, pretty well-known um, poster artist. He does, like, rock posters and things. Um, and I've been collecting posters from his shop since college. So it was really weird to actually, when I, when I realized that I needed to screen print somewhere else and I needed lessons, and I kind of looked him up, and he offered lessons and kind of use of his space. And for me, it was, like, so amazing because I've had all, all these posters that were made there since college, and I always thought, like, Screwball Press is this, like, mystical, really cool place where, like, all these indie guys hung out and stuff. And <laughs> so, so it was kind of fun to, to go screen printing there. Um, but, yeah, so Steve taught me how to, to properly screen print, and he has really nice equipment and a, a big setup in a basement that I can, because um, he works on posters, so, you know, I'm working in a, in a large format. My sheets that I screen print are 12 by 24, so... So it's nice to have kind of the, the space and the equipment for that. So anyway, so I screen print the top, and um, the middle layers are made up of uh, plywood, wood that actually is already plywood, but it's really thin. So then I put a few layers of that together. Um, so because this thin plywood still has a bend to it. Mm -hmm. um, and um, then the bottom layer is recycled rubber. It's, it's actually supposed to be flooring. But um, I use it on the shoes, and I think the the company that makes that um, it's just it's the only company that makes that material. So I have to order directly from the manufacturer, and they're really cool. I mean, I think they're kind of get a kick out of the fact that I make shoes out of their material and stuff. And a lot of people there have ordered shoes. And, oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's really they, cool. Yeah, they have a they have a couple pairs that they like take around to trade shows and stuff, and they have some pictures that they use in their marketing materials. So. Oh, that's great. It was a little cross-promotion, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's so they're, cool. They're kind of like, look, you can use it for other things. <laughs> so I don't know how many <laughs> other people would actually use them for shoes. Well, because... most people probably wouldn't know what to, like how to do it, you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. It. But, but, yeah, it's it's really a cool concept. And for your screen printing, because I know that's one of the, the coolest parts, too, of this. Well, there's several cool parts to the shoe, but I, I really like the fact that, you know, I saw your whole table and spread out on the table are just all these different designs, different stains you're using but the the screen printing do you actually um sit and draw things up or sketch up your designs for how do you come up with your your design that people see when they look at the pair of shoes sitting there on the table yeah um most of them are hand drawn like i just sit down with a sketchbook and and draw things um then i'll scan it into the computer and sometimes i'll manipulate it more in the computer and kind of look at my sketch and how it's how it relates to the footprint of the shoe because I have like I have in the computer everything's to scale so I'll have like scale um, footprints of the shoes and kind of compare that to my drawing and mm -hmm. you know fix things up and lay things out so so that's kind of basically my process and then I just uh, I print out transparencies and those are what I use to make the 
because the screen printing process, um, the screen uses kind of like a, a photo process right. um, to make the screen. So, so that's kind of how I do it. Yeah, it, it all, almost always starts out with a hand sketch. Every once in a while I will uh, manipulate a photo, okay. um, but I haven't done that too much so far. I'm still, still drawing by hand. So, and I, I do like that, and that's one of the things I... When you know when you're younger and you think like an architect, and I, I pictured like you know Mike Brady like sitting at a desk drawing things all day, and right. um, and then as soon as I got to college, that was when like kind of you know CAD and you know doing things by computer kind of took over, and so I found when I was doing everything by computer, I was like I thought I was going to spend my life drawing, and here I am pushing a mouse around. So right, right. that was one thing that I really wanted to do is to be able to um, to do some drawing. Um, and I still have a lot of room for improvement on that. I mean, I think that with the colors and the shoes and stuff, um, you, it kind of, <laughs> I guess, I guess that, um, I can be a worse drawer than if I were making like a poster or something where like the focus is kind of the drawing. Um, so I, I still think I have some room for improvements. I mean, I've done some drawings that I think are that I'm really proud of, but then I've done other ones where I'm like, you know, I still need to practice more on drawing. But. <laughs> well, the the cool thing is, uh, your the shoes seem to be um, the drawings are kind of more abstract. They're not like detailed, you know, like a you know, you're gonna have a, a scene where there's a comic strip or something going down the middle of the shoe. Right. Not to right. say you wouldn't rule that out and never explore that possibility, but but it's it's not as you said, it's not the focus of the shoe. It's just like because there's so many elements to the shoe. Um, well, and then I, the thing I love. Uh, well, I keep saying the thing I love. I love each part of the shoe. I think so. They're gonna hear that a lot. Um, but I, I love how you use the ribbon. And how did you come up with that decision to make? Like, because there's you know sandals and they're you know being tied with ribbon and one of the cool features of the shoe is that you can change out the ribbon and change almost completely change the look of the shoe depending on how you tie the ribbon yeah um that actually i guess like a lot of um inventions throughout history occurred by accident and not really knowing what else to do <laughs> so <laughs> um what happened was i i made the shoes and i made the bottom and stuck on a heel and then i was like okay now, you know, people actually need to be able to attach the wood to the foot. <laughs> yeah. And um, most shoes are made using a last, which is kind of, it's actually like a foot-shaped mold mm-hmm. that the top of the shoe is made from. Um, but they are expensive to get a set of lasts, and I didn't really even know where to start. It's really hard to find somebody who'll make, who will make lasts because um, it used to be something that you could there was probably a last maker in like every city, but now that production's all in China, it's really hard to you know find somebody who can make lasts for me um, to make the top of the shoe. The reason why I need a last is because um, I wouldn't really know how to make the top of like a size seven shoe because it's. Um, I mean, I can I can make a top of the shoe for a size nine because that's what I wear, mm-hmm. and I can like sit there with fabric and kind of nail it to the shoe and, you know, make a pattern from my own foot. Right. But for size 7, the proportions are different and, you know, there's a lot of different factors going on. So I wasn't, I, I wasn't sure how to make the top of the shoe in a way that people could kind of customize the fit to themselves. 
and I have like a million different sketches of of kind of different clasps and ties and buckles and things like that 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 I had that people could kind of customize the fit so so I wouldn't have to make the fit perfect because I don't have the tools or the equipment to make a perfect fitting size seven mm-hmm. um, so I just that kind of came to me um that was less of an aha moment it was more like ah oh, well you know, maybe I'll try, you know, looping something through there. And it was one of, like, many, many options that I had sketched. And um, and then, like, after I had been thinking about it for a while, then I kind of was like, you know, actually, this would be great for somebody who's traveling because you can, like, make the shoes look however you'd like them to look. And I was like, you know, actually, this is a pretty good idea. So it was kind of funny because when I first got the idea, I was like, eh, I don't know. And it took me a long time to kind of think about it and realize that it actually is a really good idea. Like, oh, wow, you know, this could actually catch on. So, um, but yeah, it was all born from the fact that I really don't know how to make real shoes. <laughs> so you so. just kind of made do with what you had. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and, and that's what, but do you find that people kind of get a kick out of being able to pick out the different ribbons? Because with each pair of shoes, how many different ribbons? You, you give people tons of, you know, options there so they can pick out several different, yeah, yeah, they can pick out, um, and my website, it comes with, like, a set of three ribbons, mm-hmm. so they can kind of choose from those. I'm going to update that, actually, um, but when people order from the website, they get, like, the three sets of ribbons that they ordered, and then I throw in several, like, bonus ribbons, so they'll probably get, like, you know, five or six sets of ribbons, mm-hmm. um, and I find, you know, people like that. It's nice to, to get a little more than you expected. From an order. Yeah, and it kind of just gives you, you know, more options with your wardrobe. To yeah, yeah, it up. exactly. I mean, then that's that's kind of the fun thing is that even even when I send ribbons, but people can still go to like a fabric store and pick out even other ribbons. So you can have kind of like an, an infinite shoe wardrobe or with one totally pair bottom. Or you can crochet or knit something that you can a lace of some kind or a, um, just. So I think on your website I did see uh, someone had crocheted something. I don't know if you did that. Yeah, no, yeah. I, yeah a friend of mine had uh, crocheted some ties. And, um, and you, yeah, literally you can crochet them. You can, like, sew up some ties. You can use fabric or scarves. You can literally just tie, like, anything that you can find that will hold the shoes to your feet you can use to tie them on. What is the most so. unique thing you've seen someone do? Um. A girl I know who's a, a fashion designer, she's always just using, like, the scraps from, like, whatever fabric she's working on. So she's always, like, kind of tying them in. But she doesn't, she doesn't like, finish the edge of the fabric or anything. So, so there's always, pretty. like, these, like, straggly <laughs> fibers coming out. But it looks really cool. Yeah. Um, and because she's, you know, she has kind of an edgy style and stuff. So it looks really great on her. Right. Um, Where someone else, you know, if I do that and go to work, people like, Jen, what happened to you? <laughs> but for her, it's deliberate, and she can carry it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well, that's great. And and what do you? What's your price now for a pair of shoes? They're one fifty. One fifty. Okay, so people can for one fifty, you get the shoes, and then um, you know some various uh, ribbons to customize them as you please. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So sometimes people like look kind of wide eyed at the price, but I mean, number one, I just. I can't physically make it cheaper. I mean, just the logistics of a business. I mean, I'm not making a lot of money on these. Well, yeah, and how many hours does it take you to make? And obviously, it sounds like you do a bunch of screen printing. Like, you're not making one pair of shoes all the way through start to finish. You're doing steps. Yeah, I make, and um, with all the molding and the putting of sealer on and all this stuff, I make them in large batches. Well, not huge batches, but usually I make, like, 
10 to 30 at a time. Mm-hmm. And um, it takes, uh, when all is said and done, it probably takes an hour and a half to two hours per pair. Okay. It kind of kind of depends on the shoe, whether it's like a low heel or high heel and different things. But Okay, then you have all your material costs and just all your costs for, you know, time that it took you to figure all this stuff out too right right yeah and it sounds like you if you do get bigger you still want the shoes to be made by hand yes yeah if I if I get bigger I want to have a studio where people are making them and I can see them make them because when you're making shoes if something goes wrong I mean not good but it could be a disaster I don't want somebody twisting their ankle or something you know that's kind of kind of the scary part of making shoes, so you know, I want to. I want to make sure that the shoes are made somewhere under my supervision. I could never ever send them to China and have like somebody else make them. I mean, besides the fact that you know, if I send them away, somebody can figure out how to make them and make them themselves. Right. Um, right. But I just, I would be so worried about them being made, um, you know, without my supervision. Yeah. So do you do you envision this to be someday a working studio where maybe people come in and see you is, is it can see the shoes being made like maybe through a window or something and then there's a storefront where they can try on shoes and make yeah you know, yeah yeah i definitely like a storefront um and already i mean people are people are asking like where's your storefront i want to come in and because people love like the custom aspect of them and mm-hmm. that's actually something i'm going to work on over the winter um is improving my website so it's even more kind of custom friendly so that people can like literally choose the pattern their heel height the shape all this you know every single element of the shoes so and that's kind of i mean that's fun I, who makes custom shoes nowadays I well, mean, and you can't get custom shoes that's really now. the market that you have that you can't find anywhere else because there's i mean pe- for people who want to drop money on shoes there's plenty of options out there you know but there are shoes that everybody um there's other other people wearing the same exact shoes, you know. Right. These are pretty original. Do you have any famous people walking around in your shoes that you know of? Um, no real famous people. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, as in, like, a household name. I do have um, the editor of Tree Hugger TV. Um, she really likes the shoes, and she's been doing a lot of um, a lot of different things. Like, she, she goes on radio shows or TV shows. Like, she was just on Martha the other day. Um, wearing my shoes. Oh wow! And did she mention them? Did she mention the shoes? She did not mention them, unfortunately. But <laughs> it was it was enough that I could say, as seen on Martha. You know, my yeah. shoes were actually on the Martha show. Even yeah. though I didn't talk about them. But, yeah. Um, but so she she's actually been a really good advocate because she she wears them a lot and she's um she she talks a lot about. Well, I mean, she's from Tree Hugger, so obviously everything's about eco friendliness and stuff. And right. the shoes are all. Um, eco-friendly with the recycled material and woods are a renewable resource. Um, the veneer on the top sometimes are more of an exotic wood, but it's very, very thin. Like veneers are ecologically friendly because you're just using like a tiny little bit of the wood. Mm-hmm. So, so, so one tree can, you know, cover miles. <laughs> it's just so great to see you and the success you've had. And, and right there at Renegade, you kind of had a hint of that, that this was going to take off and, um, so you're in 12 stores, you said, around the country right now. Yeah, and yep. So people can actually go in and try things on in 12 stores. And um, what, what would you like to see, like, in the next, uh, you know, five years? What would you like your your business to be? What level would you like to be at then? 
Um, I want to, I have a whole bunch of things, but um, one of the things that I'm actually starting to work on now is uh, like closed-toed shoes um, and sandals that have uh, regular material that don't have the, the ribbon, interchangeable ribbon. I mean, I think I'll always have the interchangeable ribbon thing, and I think that's probably going to be like kind of my, my original signature move. Mm-hmm. But um, I want to work more in, well, I mean, especially just, for me, it's winter now, and I can't wear my sandals. See, that's I... the thing. I was, like, so excited because I love these shoes, and I'm like, oh, crap, it's cold out. I forgot, like, I live in Michigan, you know? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> and you're in Chicago. You know all about this. It's so cold, and I'm like, man, I almost wore them the other day anyway. I'm like, man, I really want to wear these shoes, but I'm like, I cannot. It's going to be just so cold. I really need to have some closed-toed <laughs> shoes yeah. on right now. So, yeah, I, I do miss um, the warm weather. So you're looking to do something, make some things that, so people can wear your stuff year-round. Yeah, yeah. I mean, starting with me, I, I feel embarrassed when I'm not wearing my own shoes. <laughs> like, I make shoes, and people always look at my feet, and they're like, you made those? And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so when it gets cold, I mean, what kind of shoes do you wear when it gets cold? Just uh, tennis shoes right or something? Now, um, I just, I'm, I'm actually a vegetarian, and that's one thing I'm working on is making a good and nice shoe that's, veggie friendly yeah, um you yeah. know not made with leather because there there's still that's definitely a market that has a lot of potential um yeah but right now yeah i'm wearing like kind of you know your plastic shoes from payless sort of thing yeah um you know just plain black boots and stuff and i just look at my plain black, black boots and after you know wearing my shoes with all the brightly colored ribbons yeah and, that must be kind of yeah yeah it's just <laughs> it's not like, oh this is sad yeah well, so how soon can we expect to see closed-toed shoes this is very exciting and I'm not a shoe person. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm actually literally, like, working on them this weekend. I'm going to start making patterns for them. Did you ever imagine that you would be in 12 stores across the country? I mean, did you, did you think it would be that big? No, certainly not. I mean, especially I think the biggest shock was, like I said, when I, after I launched the website and immediately I was, you know, hearing from people from all over the world and it was just like, Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> like I just, just hadn't expected that at all. I really kind of thought that I would be, you know, kind of doing craft fairs more. Um, yeah. And I'm realizing that now, um, I might do another craft fair. You know, here and there, the fun ones like Renegade and things like that. But I, that's really can't even be my primary source of income because I'm so busy. Mm-hmm. Just even traveling to those shows, uh, kind of is taking time out. So um, yeah. I'm going to be working on, um, over the winter, I mean, I know you were asking about what I'll be doing in the future. In the immediate future, I'm going to um, be working on marketing because I haven't done any marketing except for having the website up. So it's all been word of mouth, thank goodness. Um, so I'm thinking that when I actually do marketing over this winter in preparation for the spring, that things might really start popping, you know, next spring when... I'm actually, like, seeking publicity. Right, we'll right. See. And have so. you, you've had pretty good press, though. I mean, have you gotten in magazines and stuff? And um, I've had, I've gotten into local magazines. Yeah. Um, nothing national yet. So we'll see. That's what I'm going to, I'm going to be starting to send out press packs and stuff to, um, to like, the fashion magazines, but also to uh, a bunch of different interest sort of magazines. I mean, the nice thing about the shoes is there's, there's kind of a lot of different aspects to them that appeal to different people. There's mm-hmm. the, the environmentally friendly part. There's the vegetarian part. There's the, uh, they're great for travel. 
they're um, they're kind of you know they have the the art thing going on with them and the hand handmade part and so there's there's kind of all these different kind of marketing angles that I could do so you know I'm not just going to be sending press releases to Lucky but I'm going to be sending them to like you know the travel magazines the vegetarian magazines environmental magazines mm-hmm. things like that so. You know, even just like a mention, a lot of these magazines have, you know, in the in the front, like new products or whatever. Right, so, so you can just get a mention. And the thing about that is they reach so many people, you know, and that could really just send people to you, you know. Yeah. And that would be really awesome to see that. Um, well, it sounds like you have a great plan, you know, <laughs> of what you're going to do next. And you're, I could tell you're happy doing what you're doing, and that's the yeah. most important thing, you know, is to, be, to find that thing that works for you and, and, and just go with it. So that's exciting. And um, so you think you'll ever do any clogs or anything like that? Yeah. That's yeah. kind of, um, I mean, that's kind of the first step in the closed-toed shoes. I mean, yeah. I would eventually love to do boots and things like that. Um, but I've always been a clog lover. So yeah, I, I, I love the kind of shoe you can just kind of slip on and you wear it wherever you want. You know, exactly. With jeans, you know. And have your toes covered then too, yeah. So, um, and do you do you ever do any kind of like quilting or anything? I mean, do you have a lot of sewing experience where, you know, you could draw upon that for your? For yeah, figuring? yeah. Thank goodness. Um, I grew up in the country and was this 4-H girl, and my mom and grandma taught me how to sew when I was about eight. So, I mean, since that age, I was, um, I was even like literally like designing and sewing some of my own clothes. So. Wow. Um, so that's, I'm, I'm excited to kind of go back from that. I mean, I think that's kind of part of the thing I like about the shoes so much is that it can incorporate woodworking and sewing and, um, you know, some web work and drawing and design. So it's kind of like combining all the things that I like to do. That's, and did you have a lot of experience with woodworking and stuff before you started cutting out the Um, shoes? Not so much. Um, we actually, we, my husband and I bought a house in 2004 and it was literally boarded up when we bought it oh wow so, yeah. <laughs> that's a leap of faith, faith. Yeah. <laughs> so um but we bought all this all these tools to help fix it up and that was kind of really fortuitous for me as far as making the shoes is that I had so much equipment already at my disposal because I think that you know for like if I had just lived in an apartment it was like I'm going to try and make wooden shoes I wouldn't even know where to start because I wouldn't have the equipment to do it because right. I needed, like, tools, real tools, table saws and routers and band saws and things like that. And um, so, I mean, think it was kind of great timing. I mean, everything kind of came together and that we were building the house and that we had all these tools. So I could, on a whim, say, I'm going to try and make this because we already had the tools. But if I lived in an apartment, I couldn't be just like, oh, I'm just going to try this because, you know, I, I can't just invest like a couple thousand dollars in the tools to make something if I didn't even know, you know, it was anything was going to happen with it. Right, right. And you can't be like, oh, let me step over to my bandsaw here in my living room of my apartment, you know. Yeah, <laughs> so. Exactly. <laughs> so is your house, um, how far along is your house now? Oh, it's in, well, we got the windows replaced and we actually, we had it gutted um, to the, kind of the white box level. So it's all like kind of white drywall and um, we have new heating and air and plumbing and the whole nine yards. Um, however, we don't have, it came to an abrupt halt when I started the shoes, to be totally frank. They, we don't have um, doors on any of the rooms except for we just put the bathroom door up. Um, we don't have any trim on anything. Like it's, 
it's pretty raw here still. Yeah. And it's been like that for the past year and a half because I used to in my spare time work on the house and now I don't I don't do that. <laughs> I work on the shoes and my husband in his spare time helps me with the business. So yeah. Well, it's amazing too. I think a lot of um, people who have you know, fully invested project, you know, themselves in projects are trying to get off the ground. Um, sometimes the conditions under which we're willing to live, like my house, if you walked into my house, um, I bought a house that was relatively, it was not very old when I bought it, but if you walked in, you would probably be like, oh my gosh, is Jennifer okay? I should call the police. This, this place looks ransacked, you know? Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, and it's kind of embarrassing to think that, you know, because I work a day job too, and it's, you know, um, and then I do this thing, and I'm trying to be a good mom, you know? And it's yeah, like we're, yeah. We spend our, our free time doing these side projects, and we enjoy, I mean, it's great fun. I love it. But it's, um, you, you do have to, I mean, because you can't do everything. Yeah, for me, it's like, <laughs> I'm not going to run the vacuum cleaner four times a day, you know? <laughs> and, yep. uh, you know, it's, it's everything's kind of crazy. So I can relate a little bit to uh, what you're doing, too, because people would think, oh, wow, she's designing. She's in the fashion world here. She's she's making shoes and expect you to have, like, designer pillows scattered about your house, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it was really lovely surroundings. Yeah, no, I mean, and when we started, too, that was when we were both architects. So we're like, oh, we're into architectural plans and stuff. Right, so, right. Yeah, so one would think that we would have this really nice place, but it's, pretty much a wreck it's just white walls with things scattered everywhere well you'll get to it when you get to it you know and the good thing is you guys have the knowledge and skills to be able to actually do that like if my husband and I bought a house it was boarded up it would probably stay boarded up I I don't have any architectural skill at all you know so that's exciting is it like an old house like a old historical house um and not historical but old it was built in 1910 okay but um it was more of at the time when it was built, it was kind of the outskirts of Chicago where um, kind of really, like, blue-collar, like, laborer workers would would live. So mm-hmm. it's um, it's very simple, just a frame house with kind of, like, it's, like, a very, very watered-down Victorian. I mean, it's not Victorian at all, but there are, since that was the era, there's, you know, a couple influences just in kind of the bay windows and stuff. But mm-hmm. it's, it's really kind of a, a plain wood box, so... Well, someday it will be so much more than that, though, right? Yeah, <laughs> you have You have a vision for this. <laughs> well, I don't know if there's anything else you'd like to say about just, um, you know, this um, artistic journey you've been on, you know, since 2005 um, to develop something entirely your own. You know, you know what we didn't talk about um, is Mohop, the name of the shoes, and how um, you arrived at that. Um, that, uh, as I mentioned before, I always kind of knew I would – have my own kind of creative business doing whatever um and mohop m-o-h-a-u-p-t is my last name but it's phonetically phonetically pronounced mohop um and so i always knew that mohop would be my company name i mean we've we've been putting it on even on like little things i made like i made a a skateboard in like 1998 and the big logo on it says mohop and stuff so it's um I always knew that would be my business name. I just didn't know what it would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's it's and you probably just to make it easier for people so they can they know how to pronounce it. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. And it's kind of funny too because sometimes people think that mohop has to do with the shoes, like like to put mohop in your step or something like that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of funny how it came together like oh, that. So they think it's they, without realizing that that's actually the 
pronunciation of your actual name. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot of times people think that it's... And is that your maiden name or your married name? That's it's your... my maiden name. Okay, okay. Yeah, so you... and it, which I kept. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I lengthened mine, so it's, like, ridiculously long. So anytime <laughs> I'm signing anything, people are like, wow, that's a long name. I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we, I totally wanted to do that, but part of the reason my husband and I met is because we in school they put people together initially by um they they kind of classified us by our last name and my last name is Mohop M O H and my husband's last name is Mostofi M O S so you oh. <laughs> so like Mohop Mostofi yeah <laughs> and they'd be like people would be like wow but it, it's kind of I think it's kind of cool I mean it has a cool ring to it you know but uh, you were just thinking that was too much mo, or <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot of mo. And we were we were kind of talking about like maybe like combining them, like you know, like using the first half of my la- my name and the last half of his. So sometimes, actually, sometimes we say that the mo hop is the mo is his mo, and the hop is my hop. Yeah. So it's a combination, but I well, got lazy about saying that. Yeah. So. Well, it's fun to play around with that, and um, yeah, I know we do some other stuff under Ackwood. You know, I'm Ackerman, and he's Haywood. And, yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Ackwood, you know, um, some of the stuff we do. So, yeah, it's 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 fun. Well, it sounds like it's, you know, awesome that you guys had the close last names because you might not have met otherwise. Right, exactly. Yeah, and he sounds like he's a great supporter of what you're doing, and that's key, too, yeah. to have people around us who help us. Yeah, thank goodness. Yeah. I don't know what I'd do without him. Yeah. <laughs> Oh wow! Well, I really appreciate um, your your time today, and I'm really excited to be able to share this with listeners because I love your work, and I think you have a you know I had a great conversation with you the other day um, in Detroit when you I met you, and um, I love your shoes, and um, I'll be you know keeping an eye out to see what you do next as far as you know having the shoes that we can wear in winter too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that'll be really fun. Thank you so much for being on the show. I think people are going to really love this, and thank you for making uh, my shoes. I love, you know, I, I was so glad to be able to go and, and get it buy a pair of those from you. I, that was really great. So, well, thank um, you. Thanks so much to Annie for sharing her story and letting us walk behind the scenes of her dream that has become a reality. So, if you have that idea, you know, kind of kicking around an idea in the back of your mind. I really want to encourage you to get out there and and do it, or at least make a list. Make a list of the steps you have to take. I don't care where you write it. you got to write it. There is no way possible that I could ever recreate what Annie's able to do, but I could make myself some slippers. I can knit and crochet. Um, I could make some kind of quilted contraptions, I'm sure, too, some little slippers. Uh, Nothing that would hold up, nothing I could run in, But I'm curious what you folks at home are making to put on your feet. So I'm thinking that what would be really kind of fun is um, if any of you have a slipper pattern that you'd like to share or, you know, you've made some shoes out of something else. I know I've seen, uh, I couldn't find the link on the web, but I've seen people make shoes out of old tires, which would require a little bit of muscle and, um, something really precise to cut through a tire. But anyway, if any of you have ideas of how we can make anything for our feet, patterns, I I will post some. You know, I'm itching to find a new and interesting pattern for some slippers. If you send a pattern in, please include a photo. So when I post those, we can see what your project looks like and include a little blurb about yourself, your name, age, hometown, 
and maybe if there's a story behind the footwear that you have designed or someone has designed um, and shared, maybe you have a family pattern or something. There's some kind of story to it because as you, those of you who listen, I'm not just someone who's satisfied with someone's name. I want to know all kinds of other information. So um, any quirky little facts you want to share about yourself, I will post those. I've actually got an email recently prompting me to look into starting some kind of a community network for all of us because I think I feel connected to several of you because you've contacted me and we've had kind of dialogues by email. But I think it would be awesome if all of you could feel connected to each other. So there could be kind of this whole craft sanity network. So I'm cooking up some plans there and I have had some fabulous help and people having some send me some great suggestions of how we could go about doing that. So I'm excited about that. But anyway, I think that's enough for right now. I uh, really appreciate you listening. Thank you so much for your continued support. All right. I would like to announce the winner of the Monster Bubbles Cross-Stitch Kit Contest. That's Trish in Lauderdale by the Sea, Florida. What a cool-sounding place. Not just Lauderdale. Lauderdale by the Sea. I also want to say a special thanks to Belinda in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and Melissa in Sacramento, California. Both of these fine folks have made that decision to either push the donation button or purchase something from my humble little website, which I really appreciate. So thank you both for supporting this podcast. I'll be back soon. It might not be exactly next week, but I'll be back as soon as I can. I have three more episodes from 2006 that I taped that I am just chomping at the bit to get to you. So I'm going to get those out as quickly as I can. If you want to stick around for the after show, if this isn't enough for you, (laughs) after the music plays, stick around and I'll have a few final thoughts for you. All right, that's it. Craft Sanity, my friends, it works for me. Thanks for listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast with Jennifer Ackerman Haywood. Visit CraftSanity.com for more information about today's guests and links to subscribing to the podcast. Want to support the show? Follow the link to vote for Craft Sanity on Podcast Alley once a month. You can also make a donation or buy goods at the Craft Sanity store. Have a suggestion for a future guest or have other feedback? Email Jennifer at CraftSanity.com. Thanks again for listening to Craft Sanity. The shows are taking me longer to uh, crank out this year. Um, Part of that was my grandmother has been extremely ill, and she died on February 8th. And her name was Eleanor Maria Bedard, and she was diagnosed with colon cancer about six months prior, and um, it had already spread by the time the doctors operated. So, as you can imagine, I've been... Kind of adjusting to life without Grammy B. That's what we called her. And, you know, it's just kind of, um, it kind of takes the wind out of your sails. And I live about two and a half hours from the rest of my family. So, um, you know, I grew up in Metro Detroit and I'm living in West Michigan now over in Grand Rapids, in, the, in suburban Grand Rapids. And so for me, it's kind of like, it takes me a little bit longer to get used to um, the loss because I don't have the daily life back home where I would I think get used to the whole thing quicker. Anyway, I uh, managed to stay on my fitness routine, you know, while my grandmother was very ill, and 
dying, and that was kind of a weird thing because I've been, uh, as I announced a couple episodes ago, I talked about how I, you know, took this plunge in early January to basically change my life and um, just make a lifestyle change to be really focused on getting healthy. And after um, two back-to-back pregnancies, uh, my youngest is one, and I decided that I'm tired of looking in the mirror and thinking, man, you know, maybe I'll do shorts next summer, you know, and just feeling, you know, sweating it out in a pair of jeans, you know, wishing that I had my old, you know, legs back and could, you know, wear a pair of shorts and not even think about it, you know. So anyway, um, it's hard to stick to those kind of goals when, you know, you feel like, you know, your world's kind of falling apart a little bit when, you know, someone you love is dying. So I um, managed to figure out a way to kind of use all those emotions I was feeling about this um, to fuel my my workouts and, you know, just um, try to deal with the stress and just, I mean, it's just an awful situation. Any of you, and I know I'm not the only, I mean, several of you have gone through this with family members and, you know, it's, it's never easy, but I think that, um, you know, whether we're doing crafts or we're working out or, you know, whatever it is, when times get tough, I mean, we need an outlet. You definitely need an outlet. And I think this time around, instead of channeling a lot of my angst and anger into crafts, I, I really kind of, kind of beat the crap out of myself, (laughs) you know, got myself exhausted. And so I just felt like I was letting out everything that needed to come out. So anyway, I've been running and swimming and biking and all kinds of things. And you haven't heard from me as often as I would like you to, you know, this is, I build this thing as a weekly podcast and I hope to be back on that soon. Um, but I've had a lot going on in my personal life lately. And, um, I'm also teaching a class at the local university, um, a journalism class, which, um, you know, I guess when I was thinking, you know, I I was going to scale back at work, I was thinking that I would really scale back at work, but what I found is with my commitment now to being fit, um, it's kind of like I have a little more on my plate. I'm so happy, though. I've lost 16 pounds total to date, which I'm thrilled about. I think I'd like to lose about 15 more just to you know, 10 to 15 more to feel like, all right, I'm there. Um, and then I have to maintain after that. But anyway, um, I've been really pleased with that. And, um, I'm going to read to you for those who want to continue listening a piece. I do a weekly column for my, my newspaper about this fitness mission. And I'm going to, um, I'd like to read my column about my grandmother and kind of, it was more hinged on fitness because that's what I write about every week. So I couldn't just completely abandon that topic but this might be something that you might get something out of and if not just humor me this is my tribute to my grandmother and um you can tune out if you're not interested i won't know so it's okay this article ran in the grand rapids press uh, sunday february 18th 2007 and it ran with kind of a ridiculous photo of my grandmother and i i'm wearing a bandana with my hair braided um, I kind of have a do-rag on my head, and uh, it was a self-portrait I took of uh, my grandmother and I after I got my digital camera, which, you know, I had a little point-and-shoot digital camera that I was, like, totally geeky about. I love to take pictures. I take pictures almost every day, and I took this picture. I remember my grandma asking, like, why I had a do-rag on my head, and I was like, why not, grandma? You know, um, because I'm just 
you know, a little crazy like that. Um, I've never been one to follow the fashion trends. But I'm really on top of the whole mohop concept, so um, I feel like I'm really cutting edge now. Um, anyway, this photo, you know, we're in this picture, and it's just kind of one of those, it's not a stage thing, it's not a, a studio photograph. And even though it's kind of like, it's not probably the most flattering picture that either of us have ever taken, it makes me smile. It's a good memory because, um, you know, it was just a snapshot of our lives, and it was, I remember it was fun. You're having fun that day. Uh, the headline is Sweating Out Grief Better Than Stuffing It. And this is what it says. Life has a way of hammering us from time to time, from minor stresses and inconveniences to major life-changing traumas. We sometimes find ourselves feeling upset and a little off balance. Even at times like these, it's essential to continue our fitness routines so we don't backslide into the valley of fatness. Since I made my public pledge to get fit, I've lost 13 pounds. To date, now it's 16. And for many of the miles I've run, swam, and biked, I've been raging against a disease and wishing in the most childlike way that I could somehow run faster or swim farther to lengthen my grandmother's life. While I've been dropping weight and feeling my old athletic self return, my grandmother, Eleanor Maria Bedard, a.k.a. Grammy B., was dying of cancer in Metro Detroit. Medication swelled her body and altered her features, while calorie-burning exercises boosted my energy level, and allowed me to slip into smaller pants. Physically, I'm feeling better than I felt in years. Emotionally, I've been a distracted mess, because it didn't seem right to feel more alive while my grandmother was slipping away. After getting sad updates from my family back home, I experienced several moments when I just wanted to say the heck with fitness and sit on the couch and eat chocolate. But I didn't give in, because that would have been too easy. I wasn't about to let cancer take any more from my life than it had already grabbed. Instead of drowning my sorrows with a two liter of Pepsi and raining the pantry for comforting snacks, I decided to use what I felt to fuel my workouts. I imagined that cancer was a punching bag and I tried to beat the daylights out of it. I turned up the speed on my treadmill and ran faster than usual to exhaust myself. I swam lap after lap to ease my anxiety about losing someone I loved. I literally worked out my grief a little each day. While none of these things made my grandmother's February 8th death any easier to accept, regular exercise gave me a daily release during her final days. I always left the gym feeling better than when I arrived. Every day, I've been able to leave my anger and angst on the track, in the pool, or in a puddle of sweat under the punching bag. I owned it, and I used it to make myself stronger. It's empowering to work out our issues in a healthy way. It restores a sense of order when everything else seems beyond our control. We can't give in to whatever ails us or let it lead us to the fridge. We have to bring it to the gym or track or pool and rage against it. Exercise won't make our problems go away. But if we stick with it, we'll be in better shape to cope when life knocks us off balance. Grammy B knew I've always wanted to be a little bit thinner and would often ask, Jenny, have you lost weight? She'd be very happy to know I wore a size 6 pair of dress pants when I delivered her eulogy. The fabric was stretchy and forgiving, but we're still going to count it as a 6 because that's what it says on the tag. So that was the way I snuck a tribute to my grandma into my newspaper. And it turned out it wasn't very hard to tie it to fitness because... Um, while crafting has always 
provided me with a sense of balance and calm. I'm finding that when you get hit by something harder than a, a daily inconvenience or, you know, the daily stress we all endure, um, I kind of, I liked being able to sweat it out. So, um, and I have been making things. I've been doing a lot of crocheting lately. I'm in the process of making a little granny square purse for my daughter, Abby, who's turning into a real bag lady like her mom. So um, I'm sure she'll get some good use out of it. But I think this piece I wrote can also be applied to um, the craft world. I think, you know, no matter if you do crafts or not, and most of you probably do if you're listening to the show. Otherwise, um, send me an email and tell me why you're listening to the show if you don't like crafts. But, you know, I think it's it's imperative that we all find something, that healthy and creative outlet to give our lives a sense of balance. And that's why I usually always have some kind of project in my bag. So if I feel like I'm getting a little, little tense, a little stressed out, I'm going to come unglued, I, you know, give kind of give myself a, my moment of zen, you know, and make something. And... um you know, and running, well, running is, is great. You can get a natural high off running, you know, and swimming and all these things. And you feel really alive, you know, when you're running really fast and you've been running for a while and you're just like, wow, this is really awesome. Well, that's great. You know, there's still nothing like settling into a cozy chair and making something with your two hands, you know, out of, out of a ball of yarn or stitching some fabric, um, to have a vision in your head and then create that vision or just kind of pull things out and make things as you go. I think, you know, I mean, that's, that's fantastic to be able to do that. So I'm kind of bouncing between two worlds. I'm kind of like wearing a lot of, um, I call them my reality pants. I wear tight pants and I work out. So there's no denying reality and I stay motivated when I look in the mirror. I'm like, okay, good job, Jen, but there's still work to do. And um, I'm making progress. I'm trying to also make take the time to stop and smell the flowers and the roses, as they say. Because I think any time we lose somebody in our life, we realize that, you know, life's short. We don't know how long we have. And you want to try to le- lead the best life you can while you're here. So, um, you know, I'm trying to sleep more and take care of myself and, you know, just enjoy life. And... Um, and compliment people more. So if I like something I see, I tell the person because, you know, it's important to do that. So anyway, that's my long-winded explanation about what's been going on in my life lately. And um, I'm doing okay. I don't want anybody to worry, you know, because I'm doing, I'm doing good. I'm, um, I'm really doing a lot of tributes to my grandma, which is my way of dealing. I, you know, wrote her obituary, did the eulogy. And wrote a piece for my newspaper, and I talk about her a lot. And I thought it would be appropriate to um, share a little bit about her with you. So um, I'll probably put that photo of Grammy B and I on my website. And uh, you know, it won't be prominently displayed, but you'll be able to find it. And uh, you can follow my progress with my uh, project U fitness series at the Grampus Press. I'll put the link to that as well if you're interested. And uh, good luck with all of your personal goals, those of you listening at home. 
and I know it feels good to have to set a goal and, and work on it. So whether that be, means switching from your day job to you know a crafty endeavor, or drafting your first pattern to submit to cool publications like Nitty or some other fantastic website or magazine, or you want to do that book proposal or whatever it is, you know, get out there and try it. And, uh, you know, it's funny, I mean, because you can't fail at trying to do something. I mean, because when you try, you're not sure how it's going to end. So I think if it doesn't work out, it's not exactly failure because you tried. You did that. So, um, yeah, let's all get out there, live our life with a sense of urgency, and uh, see what kind of cool stuff we can make and cool projects and plans we can uh, come up with. So, okay. I think that's it for me. My voice is starting to go, and it's way late. I don't have the, since I I exhaust myself during the day with all this uh, running and fitness stuff, I don't have the energy. Well, it's not that. I don't drink Pepsi anymore. So my my Kraft Sanity juice is uh, <laughs> is no longer here. Because I used to be able to stay up till you know, I just drink Pepsi until about 3 in the morning and crank these shows out. But, um, yeah, I... I'm not able to do that anymore because I don't use uh, any caffeine. I'm caffeine-free. Even my the tea I've been drinking lately is completely caffeine-free. So I'm, I've kind of really detoxed myself. Um, I feel great, though. I do. You know, despite everything that's gone on recently, I feel physically pretty good. So I'm going to um, hopefully ramp things up soon and get you these episodes faster. So I hope you enjoyed this one, and uh, as usual, feel free to send me any suggestions or comments. Uh, to, you can direct those to me, jennifer at craftsanity.com. And so um, go forth and enjoy yourself, and I uh, think we're going to have some fun with my next show. So stay tuned. I'll get that to you as soon as I can. Once again, I'll remind you to craft sanity, my friends. It works for me. <laughs>